Bah, 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 bah. All I hear is ball, so I got a ball. All I do is win, but I had to fall the best part. Was getting up again, ball, ball, ball. All I hear is ball, so I got a ball. All I do is win, but I had to fall the best part. Was getting up again, waking up again, cause I was how with friends. We be Arctic in a frying pan. What's important, man? You want foil, man? Illuminate and then distorted, man. I'm submerging in, it's a fact. Off the bench from the west side, for the west side, high echelon. Serving them like restaurants. Hey, same, same. We are not the same. Same, same, 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 we are not the same. What's good, everybody? Welcome back. Thank you for joining me for yet another episode of, you know what it is, this is the ISO Podcast. If this is your first time joining, I'd like to take this time to introduce myself. I go by the name of Trey Crowder. I am your host, and I will be taking you along this basketball journey today. So we'll go ahead and get into the episode. Uh, I got these birthday shout outs that we're going to run down. And not a lot of big names on here, but uh, we still got some hoopers nonetheless. So we'll start off with Kai Bowman, point guard for the Golden State Warriors. He just turned 23 years old, so happy birthday to the former Boston College product. Uh, moving on to Alex Lynn, center for the Sacramento Kings. I think he plays for the Kings. <laughs> it's a sad story, too, because Alex Lynn, I remember coming out of Maryland, it was a, a lot of hype about him. He was a former top five pick, so for him to be, just be bouncing around from team to team as like a backup big man now is a tragic story, but happy birthday to him. He turned 27 today as well. Uh, Moving on to some birthdays over this past weekend, Bruce Bowen, former lockdown defender for the San Antonio Spurs, um, one of the the all-time 3 and D players in the league. He's kind of like one of those players that really coined the term, but he just turned 49 years old. Um, You can catch Bruce Bowen nowadays on ESPN wearing a fucking bow tie. (laughs) In all seriousness, though, that's swag if you think about it. He went from Cal State Fullerton, went undrafted, somehow latched onto the Spurs, Hit some big-ass shots, played some good-ass defense, won three championships, and now he kick his feet up like Fonsworth Bentley on ESPN every now and then just to give his winning opinion, you know, just because he did that shit back in the day. So happy birthday to Bruce Bowen. Uh, moving on to our next birthday shout-out, R.J. Barrett. I'm a fan of this young guy, a.k.a. the Maple Mamba. He just turned 20 years old, so he still has a long way to go in terms of his NBA career. Um, but he has some bright bright moments in his uh, rookie season. Uh, I... I Kind of jumped off the jumped out the window earlier <laughs> in the year before the season started, um, and I said that I think he would have a better career than Zion Williamson. I think I'm ready to uh, retract that statement. <laughs> that wasn't one of my better ones, man. I I just said a lot of right shit, but that was definitely wrong. I don't care how good R.J. Barrett becomes, he's not gonna be better than Zion. I know I kind of went with the durability thing, too. Nah, durability, all that shit aside, Zion got him. <laughs> but I think he's still going to be really good uh, what he brings to the table at six foot seven on the wing, being left-handed. He, he's going to have a really long career. Um, another young guy that I like just turned 20 years old as well, uh, rookie point guard for the Phoenix Suns, Jalen LeCue. He played a lot in the G League, so we didn't really see him much in the NBA. But once he makes it to the NBA, he's going to stick. 
Mark my words. And I know my words may not mean a lot considering that I said R.J. Barrett was going to be better than Zion, but Jalen LeCue is the real deal. His athleticism is off the charts. They call him Baby Westbrook for a reason. If you've never seen him play, Google Jalen LeCue. He is the real deal. Uh, but happy birthday to him. Uh, happy 31st birthday to Hassan Whiteside, one of the best shot blockers in the NBA. Year in and year out, he is a double-double machine. He's had a resurgent year with the Portland Trailblazers where he's, I want to say, had career highs across the board. I, I haven't looked at that, but I could imagine he's having one of his better years. Um, but Hassan Whiteside just turned 31 over the weekend. Uh, and happy birthday to Juan Carlos Navarro. <laughs> Juan Carlos Navarro just turned 40 years old, played a little bit in the league, but this guy was really big overseas. Juan Carlos Navarro was a bucket. Uh, pull him up in Spain. I think he was a member of that team with Mark Gasol and Pau Gasol that beat us in the Olympics. So uh, check his file. He's the real deal. He's a hooper. Uh, Darius Baisley, rookie for the Oklahoma City Thunder. He just turned 20 as well. A lot of 20-year-olds in this uh, birthday shout-out, man. That's the new face of the league, man. But Darius Baisley, he, he's going to be really solid. Uh, he got a lot of tools. It's just going to be a matter of him putting it together. I think he would have been one of those guys that could have benefited um, from college. I think he would have been able to kind of like hone in on his craft a little better. But if he gets the time to develop, I think he could do some big things. Real tall, uh, tall and versatile wing. Um, but I, I think I think Darius Bazley got a bright future. Happy birthday to him. Antoine Jameson, another old school bucket. He turned 44. He used to do his thing. He was one of the original stretch fours. He can get a bucket. I remember Antoine Jameson had a couple 50-point strings. Like, that's how, how lethal he was in his hay. So, happy birthday to Antoine Jameson. We got two more left. Earl Watson, um, NBA coach, just a, a basketball mind. He Earl Watson also played at UCLA, played some point guard in the NBA. He's one of those, when he was in the league, it was never like a star or anything like that. But I can imagine he brought a lot to the locker room just, you know, considering how much he, how well he knows the game of basketball. So, Happy 41st birthday to Earl Watson. And final birthday shout-out, Drew Holiday. Turned 30 over the weekend. Drew Holiday is one of the, probably the most underrated player in the league, but one of the best players in the league. Does it on both ends. Lockdown defender. Can go get you 20 points. So happy birthday to Drew Holiday. And happy birthday to every single one of those fellas, man. Uh, so let's go ahead and move on to some NBA news. So last time we were here um, on the last episode, we were talking about the NBA Board of Governors had a meeting set up and the NBA season was set to potentially return. So since we last met up, uh, the NBA owners did agree to that and the season is set to come back. Now, there has been some pushback among the players and we're going to get to that in quarter number one of this episode. But I do have some important dates to get to now that the NBA season has at least been agreed to restart on paper. So and actually, if you think about it, I'm about to be wrong about that shit, too, because if they do take the floor and the season does restart, I'm going to be wrong about that shit, too, just like I was about Zion and RJ Barrett. Look at this shit, man. I'm bashing myself on my own fucking podcast. I'm on my own platform. You know what it is, though? This is real. I'm keeping it 100. This is the accountability podcast. I'm keeping it 100 with you guys, because by the time this episode airs, I'm about to be at a thousand listens. So that's a huge milestone for me. But obviously, you guys like the honesty and transparency because y'all motherfuckers is listening. <laughs> so um, but these important dates I'm going to go ahead and get into are just um, the dates that are set up for the NBA season and how they're going to kind of roll out for the rest of the uh, campaign. So the league plans on testing players and personnel for coronavirus on June 22nd. 
So that's later on this month. They're going to start pretty much preparing everybody to go into the proverbial bubble. That's what they're kind of calling it. All the players and the personnel are going to be in this bubble until the season ends because they're trying to keep them from being exposed to the virus. So this thing is getting really crazy, man. It's like some shit right out of a movie for sure. (laughs) But uh, the next date is June 30th. Training camp begins and the players obviously will will start just getting ready for for the remainder of the season and the playoffs. So giving them some time to get back into the swing of it, I think is great. I'm glad they didn't just rush them back into it. I don't think it would have made sense to do that. And that's kind of the reason why, a big reason why I thought the season wouldn't have started because if you got to give them time to prepare, how much time does that allow you to finish the season before it impacts the following timeline of the next season? So uh, on July 7th, all teams will travel to Orlando. July 31st, the NBA season will resume. August 25th, the NBA draft lottery will take place. Um, On October 15th, the NBA draft will take place. On October 18th, free agency begins. November 10th, training camp will start for the following season, the 2020-21 season. And then December 1st, the uh, following season starts, the 2020-21 campaign. A whole lot of 20s in there. Um, But yeah, so that is the timeline upcoming for this season. So we will still see the draft lottery and everything take place just a lot later than what we're used to. We're going to see the draft take place when the season is normally about to start. So this virus has really tilted everything and kind of thrown everything out of whack. So I'm going to be curious to see how other organizations kind of get back on their feet, so to say. Uh, So next story we got is actually for my squad, the Denver Nuggets. Head coach Mike Malone apparently had the coronavirus back in March. So our players definitely have it (laughs) or at least had it already and it passed through. But um, in an interview with CBS Denver 4, uh, Mike Malone said that he began feeling ill around March 20th. He did say he reached out to team doctors, but at the time there was no testing available. So good. He was able to recover through that. Um, He did say he felt really bad and he was like he knew he was fucked up. So the fact that he had it and nobody the the testing wasn't even available I'm almost 100% sure he had to pass it to the players so um good that everybody is safe but um I'm ready man if the season does start back I think we're gonna make a really big push uh this postseason I think we learned a lot from last year uh and other basketball news so moving on from the league uh the NCAA committee of infractions have placed Oklahoma State's men's basketball program on a three-year probation and banned the Cowboys from playing in a postseason tournament uh this upcoming season so got this story off ESPN man this is this is sucks because Oklahoma State isn't like one of these powerhouse programs and uh one the top player or he was ranked number two but he was number one for most of the year Kay Cunningham he committed to Oklahoma State and that's like one of those I love to see commits like that because it's like he's going to a school that's not like dominant but they still play good people and they got some talent to where he can really show how talented he is and now I don't know if he's even going to stay there because of he's only probably going to do one year. And if you can't play in the postseason, what the hell is the point? You're just basically playing meaningful games because they have no they have no effect on the on a postseason at all. And a lot of the times in the NCAA tournaments where people improve their draft stock, you know, I've seen guys struggle in the regular season. I always talk about Mitch McGarry. He made he got drafted just off of how he played in the NCAA tournament and didn't do shit in the league because it was a fluke. But the importance of playing in the, the postseason, John Morant benefited from it. It just shows that you can play against people who are because that's when you really see the matchups that you'll see in the league because he's not playing against people in conference like in conference. People's rosters are tailored to beat other people within the conference. But 
once you go outside them, the, you know what I mean? If you're a Pac-12 school and you go to the SEC, the big man is a lot different. So um, it's going to be interesting to see if Kay Cunningham will stay. Um, he deleted everything from his social media associated with the school. Um, so that's not a good sign. <laughs> and the school said that they'll, the head coach said he'll support any decision that he makes. So um, it'll be interesting to see what he does considering. I know he could probably get an easy 500 grand from the G League right now. Um, but I'll, I'll be watching that story closely. Um, they also said the penalties are a result of a level one violation involving former associate head coach Lamont Evans, who was sentenced in June 2019 to three months in prison for accepting between $18,150 and $22,000 in, bri in bribes to steer players. So, yeah, it's college. <laughs> it's scummy shit. It's a, it's a lot of scummy shit happening. Um, and that's always been the NCAA. So it doesn't surprise me. Last story of the day, um, ESPN put out their rankings for the class of 2023, uh, top 25 rankings. So these are the high school kids who just finished up their freshman season in high school. So they are moving on to their sophomore campaign. And three names stood out to me among the top 25. And these are three popular names. But uh, number 24, LeBron James' son. You know what? Let me fix that shit. I apologize. <laughs> I'm not going to be part of the problem with that shit. I'm going to correct myself. Bronny James was ranked number 24 um, in the ESPN Top 25. So it's cool to see him crack those rankings already. Um, he's definitely building a name for himself <laughs> and carving out his own path. Um, I like his game. He can shoot really high basketball IQ. Uh, now, I think he's going to be a, a really good point guard. I can really see him. He got a good feel for the game. He just got to get a little bit bigger. Um, but I could already see, you know, the, the skill set is there. Uh, and then number three, Mikey Williams. So this was... We got a number of people's attention that he wasn't the number one ranked player. This dude averaged like 30 points in his freshman season. He scored like 77 in a game, just doing all kind of crazy shit. He was clearly dominant from day one, regardless of who he played. And he was ranked number three. Now, ranked number one is DJ Wagner. His father uh, was also a, a super, super good high school player back in the day at Camden. Uh, and he was also highly ranked coming out of high school as well. He went... I think he got drafted in the lottery by the Cleveland Cavaliers and he washed out of the league. But his son, uh, DJ Wagner. Wow, I just corrected myself <laughs> about Bronny James and his dad and separating himself. And then I give my bad, man. I got to cut that shit out. I'm going to hold myself accountable. This is the accountability podcast. Uh, DJ Wagner, the son of Dewan Wagner. But DJ Wagner is the number one ranked player in the class of two, uh, 2023. So this caught a lot of people's attention because we thought it was pretty clear that Mikey is the best player in the class of 2023 as of now. But maybe ESPN is thinking in the future and they think DJ Wagner, you know, has the, the IQ and the skill set to potentially develop further than Mikey Williams. So and I, I can see that argument in terms of Mikey being like a finished product and really not getting bigger. Um, but the way he's playing, you can't assume the worst like you could. He's still a young kid, so he's going to get better. And if he gets bigger, he's going to be unstoppable. Like, look at LaMelo Ball. He was killing, and now he's six for seven. He's about to be a top three pick. So you never know what could happen. But if I had to make the rankings based off today, I would have had Mikey at number one. Uh, but DJ Wagner, one cool tidbit I'll say about him. Um, I watched this game. He, he plays with a really high IQ, too. He plays like somebody you would expect whose dad was a star basketball player who also played in the NBA. Um but with DJ, I would say his game is going to be a little different because he's a little skinnier. And I don't know how big his dad was as a sophomore freshman in high school. Um, but DJ Wagner isn't a big dude. He's a little skinny. Um, but I think 
he has that pedigree working in his favor. I didn't see, this is the cool tidbit I was going to say, um, his grandfather and his dad were McDonald's All-Americans, and they all attended uh, Camden High School in New Jersey, which is where he goes now. So it was like your grandfather and your dad was a McDonald's All-American, and with him being the number one ranked player, he might do that as well. And I think he will be like one of the first players in NBA, or not NBA, in basketball history um, to complete that trio of McDonald's All-Americans games. So I just thought that was a cool tidbit. But again, a lot of people were kind of surprised with the rankings, Mikey Williams especially. <laughs> I grabbed this clip off of, off of YouTube, and this is him off of Instagram Live just talking directly to DJ Wagner and uh, in response to him being ranked ahead of him. When, when your coach, uh, not that everybody's on here, when your coach tells ESPN that you're not ready to play me and your team has no interest in playing us because you're a young team, bro, you're ducking smoke. You're ducking gunshots. You're ducking gunshots, bro. I don't like it. It is what it is. What it is. You ran in three tournaments. We, we tried to schedule y'all in, what, three or four tournaments, and y'all ran from every single one. So, yeah, like I said, <laughs> he wasn't really too happy about that. Um, but, yeah, man, I, I really do hope they get to play each other. I know they will run into each other at some point in time, whether it be some All-American camp or some tournament, but I'm excited to see that. I did see uh, that Sierra Canyon agreed to a game um, against Camden, though. So I think Bronny James is supposed to be matched up with DJ Wagner in one of these upcoming tournaments. So that should be dope to see as well. But class of 2023 has heavy ties with LeBron. It's crazy. He was drafted in 2003. 20 years later, his son is ranked in that class. Um, shit, he, he's, he played with Dewan Wagner, who was the father to DJ Wagner, who's the number one player. And shit, LeBron wears number 23. So it's like <laughs> ideal. It's perfect. <laughs> but... Uh, that's all the news I got for today. Let's go ahead and move on to these topics that I got in store. So in the first quarter, we are talking about the NBA once again. So um, a lot of players are at odds in terms of if they should go back uh, once the season does resume. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. And quarter number two, we're going to get bold. I'm, I got six bold statements for the remainder of the season. So these are just six statements that I came up with that are kind of bizarre, but you can kind of see it happening. <laughs> if you think like me, uh, but we'll get into that in quarter number two. And then after halftime, we're going to get into the five most dangerous players once the season resumes in quarter number three. So we're going to talk about the guys who are going to be most lethal uh, coming out of this quarantine hiatus uh, and the guys that are going to get right into it and lead their teams to some, uh, some good victories. And then in the final quarter of the day, we are talking about Jonathan Kaminga. So Jonathan Kaminga was uh, one of the top or is one of the top high school players um, in the class of 2020 now. He just reclassified recently. So we'll talk about him and where he may potentially be playing basketball next season. So sit back, relax, get comfortable wherever you at, because we got a lot of shit to get into. Um, so let's go ahead and tip off this episode with quarter number one. And thank you guys for sticking around and joining me on the ISO podcast, the number one podcast for true basketball fans. It was all good just a week ago. <laughs> Everybody was excited, saying the NBA was coming back. We about to see hoops, man. We who gonna go to the championship, man? Everything was good, and then the world happened, and then reality happened, and we've seen a lot of shit that's been going on for hundreds of years. 
just in our faces and there was no way you couldn't have empathy for it you know regardless of to where you stand on whatever side of the fence there was no way you you can look at these black people dying in a row consistently no justice being served and in any way can can try and justify it it just doesn't make sense so obviously with the league being composed of majority black players they're going to be affected by it like I, I I've been affected by it every black person for the most part has been affected by it other than bitch-ass Jason Whitlock or Candace Owens, but <laughs> other than them, um, you know, everybody's been affected by it just because it's, if you're just a person who who just has somewhat of a heart, you ain't even got to be, like, the the most loving person to just to see somebody die for no reason or over $20 bill or whatever the fuck it may be, it just has to strike a nerve with you. So Kyrie Irving has... has been the guy who has been vocal in this stance. And he he thinks that right now the NBA is secondary to social injustice. And I can't disagree with that. You know, that I don't know if there's any way you can compose an argument to where that's not the case. I've heard people say that, well, it's his job. The, the NBA is his job. It's easy for him to say because he's heard he's not going to play anyway. I feel like that's even more the reason why it – he's really passionate about it. Like, this is how he genuinely feels because he was very vocal on his stance. He said, I'm willing to give up everything I have for social reform. So he's, he wants, he wants to see advancement for black people. You know what I mean? He, he wants to see the advancement of equality in this, in the United States. And that really should be what everyone wants. But the point that he's making is that unfortunately that becomes secondary because the hunger for financial gain is what everyone else is more so interested in. And if we can just take a time to stop making our decisions solely based on the financial, you know what I mean, gain you can get from it, you know, we possibly could progress as a as a nation. Because right now we have no sports. I mean, we have like UFC, but we don't have like the major sports, like the major sports, basketball, football, baseball. They aren't being played because of the virus. So because of that, you have a lot of people who have chosen to keep themselves away from the things that happen to black people you know, that are on the unfortunate side just because they don't choose to, they don't want to see that. They don't want to expose themselves to that kind of stuff, even though that's the reality for us as black people. So with everything kind of being at a halt, the news has been showing this. And now, you know, you you have people who may have never even been exposed to the, the experiences of black people are now getting their eyes open. So if you bring sports back into the fold, I can see how that can sway some people's attention. You know, some people may not be focused because they're looking for an escape. Sports has always been an escape, but you can't escape this shit now. It's the reality. And we either got to face it and overcome it, or we can just continue to walk around it like we always do. And that's what I kind of agree with him on the terms of if we want to see change, we got to do things differently. Like just recently with all the processing that we're seeing, this was deemed as the, the largest civil rights protest in the history of the United States. Why? Because a lot of people said fuck it and they were fed up and they just stopped doing what they normally do, which is, you know what I mean, putting their feelings to the side to make everyone else comfortable. No, they they went out and they they stood up for what they believed in and are making their voices heard. And because of that, you are seeing things change. You've seen Confederate flags get taken out of NASCAR. So no, the NBA isn't the enemy because they're trying to make money because it's a business. That's what I expect the business to do. But what Kyrie Irving is saying right now is not the time 
for this because at the end of the day, it's entertainment. Yeah, we're all employed by this company, but they can go play basketball somewhere else. It's not solely about the money for the players. Like, they can go play overseas if they really want to get a bag. Like, so it's just bigger than that. If you hold out from an organization within America that's a huge organization that makes a lot of money and you don't allow people that opportunity to escape, you know, by seeing LeBron James play on TV, they can forget about the shit that they saw on the news. It, it just makes things kind of sticky for, for both parties because now you have the players feeling like, am I turning my back on our community if I play? And then not only am I I'm doing that, I'm putting my family at risk because the virus is still spreading. So it's like you you really don't know what to do. And I can see how they can be a little torn. But um, pretty much the players, they, they formed a coalition. Uh, Kyrie Irving, Avery Bradley are headlining, headlining this team. They put out a statement. I'll, I'll say I put out their statement and then I'll say Austin Rivers statement that he put out um, on his Twitter uh, or Instagram, I believe it was. But I just want you to hear what the players are, are feeling. And then I'm going to let you hear what Adam Silver has to say, and then I'll bring it full circle. So this is Kyrie Irving. He says, um, or the NBA Players Coalition. They put out a statement, and ESPN aired it. So um, it says, as an oppressed community, we are going on 500-plus years of being systematically targeted, used for our intellectual property slash talent, and also still being killed by the very people that are supposed to protect and serve us. We have had enough. We are combating the issues that matter most. We will not accept the racial injustice that continue to be ignored in our communities. We will not be kept in the dark when it comes to our health and well-being. And we will not ignore the financial motivations, expectations that have prevented us historically from making sound decisions. So exactly what I was saying. When Kyrie Irving first said that something was fishy and he didn't know about the NBA season restarting, a lot of people attacked it and a lot of people didn't like what he had to say because they just... Kyrie Irving has always kind of been painted as like the problem child in the media. And I do feel like sometimes he can be a little selfish. I just think Kyrie doesn't articulate himself the best. Like, if you want to have a stance this big, you know what I mean, where it's for social injustice, where you're stopping an organization from making millions of dollars, you got to be a little bit more calculated in your approach and how you, you know what I mean, pretty much just handle the situation. And by saying something's fishy, like, what's fishy? You know, what are you referring to? Why would you want to stop this organization from making money and what appears to be helping you because you can be gaining financially too, even though you're not even playing. So I see where, where that angle could be coming from. But the reason why I didn't like people going at him is because they didn't even give, give him enough time to kind of like put out a statement. Like this statement just came out yesterday. They didn't allow him to really say what he meant, but I also feel like he kind of brought that on himself by being, you know what I mean, kind of messy with just saying something's fishy before actually elaborating on what, what he felt as to why the NBA season shouldn't resume. Um, so this is a statement from Austin Rivers. He actually kind of opposed what Kyrie Irving was saying, um, and this was his reasoning for it. So he put, trying to find the correlation. Us coming back will be putting money in all of our pockets, i.e. the NBA players. With this money, you cannot help out even more people. You can now help out even more people and continue to give more, importantly, your time and energy towards the Black Lives Matter movement, which I'm 100% on board with. Because change needs to happen and injustice has been going on too long, but also, not to mention there are plenty of NBA players I don't know who need them paychecks. 99% of the NBA hasn't made the money a guy like Kyrie has. Not to mention, NBA is predominantly African-American, and a lot of our audience is too. Us proving entertainment and hope for kids is important. Also, keeping some kids indoors and watching basketball games on TV instead of 
maybe going out and getting into trouble due to the unfair and unequal environments a lot of African-American kids are placed in, it is important too. Not saying basketball is a cure for that, but basketball can maybe provide a distraction. On another note, not to mention the ramifications of not playing with the TV money, etc., CBA, etc., will really put NBA basketball behind, possibly even canceling next year. I love Kyrie's passion towards helping this movement. It's admirable and inspiring. I'm with it, but in the right way and not at the cost of the whole NBA and players' careers. We can do both. We can play and we can help change the way black lives are lived. I think we have that too, but canceling or boycotting return doesn't do that in my opinion. Guys want to play and provide and help change, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. So that's Austin Rivers' stance. Um, he has a lot. I think majority of the league probably feels the way Austin Rivers does. I know LeBron. LeBron said he he doesn't think it will affect his ability to affect social change. Um, he says he wants to, the season to start back. He's been all for it. Patrick Beverly said, hey, if LeBron James said the season's starting, damn it, the season's starting. <laughs> He's saying that's the kind of pool King James got. So all the shit Kyrie talking about don't even matter. Um, and Ed Davis, I also seen him say something kind of alluding to what Austin Rivers says. So you you definitely got players on both ends of the spectrum. I seen Lou Williams kind of support what Kyrie Irving said. Carmelo Anthony has been kind of like hesitant. Dwight Howard, Avery Bradley, of course. So you do have people siding with um, Kyrie Irving. They actually said he was on a Zoom call with around 100 players uh, on Friday, this past Friday, addressing doubts about the restart. So there are people who who support what Kyrie is saying. I just hope that they take a really, really, really calculated approach while how they deliver their statements because they're going to have... Whenever it's something that is black people taking a stand, you it's unfortunate, but we have to be like almost perfect. Look at Colin Kaepernick. He didn't hurt anybody. He literally kneeled and did nothing to nobody <laughs> and they, they killed him for it. So you got to be really calculated because... At the end of the day, they're not going to hear you anyway, and they're going to make it like you're, you're causing issues. But at least when shit happens, like now, Colin ha- Kaepernick looks like a fucking hero because he was telling y'all all along. So just got to kind of be in that vein. So I'll go ahead and play this statement from uh, Commissioner Adam Silver. And this was his uh, response for players, you know, kind of having uh, hesitancy towards playing the rest of the NBA season. I can only say it may not be for everyone. I mean, it will entail enormous sacrifice on behalf of those players and and for everyone involved, the coaches, the referees. Listen, it's not an ideal situation. We're, we're trying to find a way to our own normal in the middle of a pandemic and now with enormous social unrest in the country. And so as, as we work through these issues, I can understand how some players may feel that it's not for them. If a player chooses not to come, it's not a breach of his contract. We accept that. Now, the one thing I love from hearing that video was that the players won't be punished if they choose not to go. The NBA, they they always seem to get it right. And it sucks that these players are, are feeling this way and they're taking a stand against the NBA because I feel like if it's anybody who deserves, you know, players turning against them, it's the fucking NFL. Like, that's the real plantation (laughs) the NFL is bad but they they deserve more of a setback than the NBA but I hope this doesn't make like other organizations attempt to like silence players voices or do you know like crazy disciplinary acts for for players speaking out just because I feel like the NBA has always kind of given players a voice and now I don't know if I can remember players revolting against an organization you know I mean in recent memory so this will be like the first if 
Kyrie Irving and whatever players feel like this get enough steam. So this would, would kind of be like you allowed them to, to speak their opinion and like pretty much they, they overtook, you know what I mean? The, the players overtook you. And I hope that that's not the way this is looked at because that shouldn't be the message. I think the NBA is just the perfect people for it because they allow their players to have a voice. So if they allow them to really express how they feel and they don't feel like playing, that's kind of a message to America. You know, if you want your sports back, you need to kind of treat people fairly, which should be a simple concept. But for some reason, it it seems to get lost in translation. But um, I think that just as people, we got to have a little bit of self-discipline. Like with with us not seeing sports, it's not going to be the end of the world. Like everything is about money. They'll find a way to put some basketball on eventually. But right now is, is an isolated time in U.S. history for black people where, like, we are actually seeing some shit get done. And, like, it sucks that these people had to, to die for this to happen. Hundreds of black people had to die. Like, um, and I want to take this time to even say RIP to Robert Fuller, Malcolm Harsh, Rayshard Brooks. These are three other black men who were killed this past weekend, um, two in which were hung. One was shot by a police officer in Atlanta. So it's just sad, man. This shit continues to happen. And when it's like everybody is, is gearing up for the basketball season, you, you could kind of hear the, the, the rumblings on TV, you know what I mean, just of how excited people are. But yet, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, these just happened within, like, the past month. And then I just told you three more that just happened within the past week. So it, it's, it's just like... Is basketball really needed right now? Like, this is a basketball podcast, and everybody know I love hoops more than the next man, but it's just I, I really do feel like if the players take a stand, it's going to just show, like, damn, there's no escaping this. Like, we have to address it. We can't, we can't even turn to sports to, to get us away from this. Like, so you got to solve it. You got to hear the players. And I think ultimately with the players realizing their leverage, um, I would love to see LeBron James kind of, you know, and it's funny that that Kyrie Irving, the and I think it's partially due to the media trying to paint villains and heroes. Because LeBron James is, I don't think he's it. I don't think he opposes Kyrie Irving. I think LeBron James just wants to play, and that's how he feels. But because LeBron James has this influence, they make it like he's on the pro, bring the season back, and Kyrie Irving is the the con. And especially because they had alleged smoke in the past when Kyrie Irving wanted to leave, even though he had just came back from a run in the NBA Finals. So I think with those players having their history, this was kind of perfect for them to kind of pit them against each other. But I think this is a time for all of us to unite and work on solutions together instead of criticizing each other's solutions because that's not really productive. It's it's not solution-oriented. But one thing I will say about Kyrie Irving is as much as he's painted as a problem child, the, the problem childs are usually the people who are disruptive. And disruptive people are usually the ones who spark change. You know, like Malcolm X was considered disruptive. Martin Luther King was considered disruptive. It doesn't mean they were bad people, but of course they were attempted to be painted in a certain light just because what they wanted was not in line with what the majority wanted. So with Kyrie Irving, this isn't like something new. I I remember when he played for the Celtics, he was in an interview um, after the game and somebody asked him about what his plans were for Thanksgiving and Kyrie Irving said, fuck Thanksgiving. <laughs> and he had to, I remember he came out on Twitter the next day and apologized, said he spoke out of character, but Kyrie Irving knows the, what Thanksgiving stands for. And his mom was a member of the, let me look this up. So I don't 
<laughs> messed this up. His mom was a member of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. So I remember when he came out and said that, like, from what my family went through and what my heritage endured, I don't give a fuck about this holiday where, you know what I mean, my people were slaughtered. So I, I think Kyrie Irving is, is right on brand with who he's always been. I actually just got a notification in my phone from Bleacher Report that um, Steven Jackson has spoke with Kyrie Irving. He said Kyrie Irving has called him crying about the, the shit he's been seeing regarding the social injustice for black people. So he said he's all in. This is how he really feels. This isn't some shit that he's just doing to cause problems. So um, I think he should be heard out. Um, I do think um, he will eventually follow up with the plan. And I think once he comes with the plan, um, you know, whatever party is, is helping him get this situated, I think it'll all make sense in the end. And hopefully, you know, something can be done because it's not ideal to bring these players back during the middle of a fucking pandemic and, you know what I mean, the biggest civil rights movement in U.S. history. Like, that's a lot of shit to be trying to force. Like, let this shit blow over and let some change happen and then we can come back and play basketball happy and give y'all the good product. <laughs> so let's go ahead and move on to quarter number two and we are going to talk about the six bold statements I got for the rest of the season, y'all. Let's get it. Welcome to quarter number two, you guys. I'm feeling bold. I got some shit to get off my chest that a lot of people may not agree with, but I got six of them, y'all, and I'm going to get these shits off. <laughs> and um, we're going to see what y'all think. So I'll start with number six. This is going to be, again, the six bold statements I got for the remainder of the season considering the season starts so like the season has to start for these shits to to actually be <laughs> like valid so the first one i'll start with is the challenge so i think the coach's challenge is going to determine the outcome of a game in the conference finals so i've been saying this all year that i think this coach's challenge thing is eventually gonna play a big role in a major game um i think in the earlier in the season we seen coaches kind of like toying with it to kind of get the feel of when to throw it, you know what I mean? The success rate of like, you know, does it ever get overturned? Like, does it really benefit my team to challenge something? So I think ultimately it brings a different element to the game to where if as long as it's in the effort of getting things right, I'm all for it. So Because I think a lot of times in big games, certain calls are missed. Any any rule that's put into place to make sure that the, the right call is made, I'm all for it. So um, I think the coach's challenge is going to take place in the conference finals because I think that's when we're going to see the closest teams matched up. So I think the best the best of the best, obviously, the, the games are going to be really close. So, yeah, you have, let's say, the first round, 1-8 matchups. They might have a game or two that gets close, but I don't think a challenge call is going to determine the outcome of, like, a series. I think that – I know I said determine the outcome of a game, but I meant to put series. So – I think that there's going to be one game in the conference finals because those teams are so closely matched that when that call is made, it's going to determine the whole trajectory of that series. So the reason why I think that is just because I think people have forgot that it's a thing because we haven't really seen it where it matters now. So the playoffs is going to be the biggest stage. This will be the first playoffs where it actually is available. So once we see that and, you know what I mean, it's a big game and, we got the, the best of the best on the, on, the, on the court. 
I think that's when people are really going to start paying attention to the coach's challenge. But we've been on it all along with the ISO podcast. I've been saying that shit from day one that I think it's going to have huge ramifications. And I think the conference finals is where it's going to take place just because I think that's when the, the games will be so closely matched. By the time you get to the finals, I think that's just a little too late. That's why I'm saying conference finals because I think it's going to have to happen sooner, but not too early. Because like that's why I didn't say the first two rounds because I think in the first two rounds, the games don't mean as much. Like you won't really it won't change much in your everyday life. Like, you, you'll probably catch it on first take or skip and Shannon, but when the conference finals take place and it's a, a big call that overturns a game that determines the series, you're going to see that shit on all the television channels for, like, a week. So I think that's why the conference finals is the, the time where I thought was, like, the sweet spot to where I think the call will probably make the most impact and where it will grab people's attention the most, but not taking too long up into the finals. So um, the number five bold statement that I got, Nikola Jokic will average a triple-double, a triple-double, my bad, in one playoff series. I don't think that's too bold of a statement. That's actually a little, I'm, I'm a pussyfooting on that one, but <laughs> I'll stick with it. Nikola Jokic, if you guys haven't seen him, he's super slim. Um, he lost a, a whole lot of weight. He looked like he got liposuction or some shit. I don't know how he got that small that fast. But uh, Nikola Jokic, I think he's going to average a triple-double. One, he's going to be way more agile, um, and our team is, is coming back. We're healthy. We got a lot of solid pieces. We're ready to make a postseason run, and he's going to be the leader of the charge, which is what I'm sure he knew, which is why he de- decided to slim down because it's going to take a lot, a lot of conditioning, you know, in these games since he's going to play some big minutes. But um, he is Mr. Triple-Double. He has vision. He's going to rebound the ball. He's going to play a big role for us. He started picking up his play during the second half of the season, so I think that's going to carry over into the, the playoffs, and I think Nikola Jokic – I'll, I'll, maybe even the first round, that's probably most likely because they'll. the first round, I imagine, will be the biggest gap between them and the opponent's talent. So maybe it'll be that first round series, but I could also see him doing it in the, the semifinals because that's when he steps it up and he plays his best in the biggest games against the best opponents. So that wouldn't surprise me either. Um, so moving on to number four, I put there will be more upsets in these playoffs than we have ever seen. I stand by that 100%. Um, this season has been so weird. I don't think we've ever seen a season quite like this. Uh, we never have seen a season quite like this. I'll go ahead and just correct that right now. Um, but with this season being so weird and wacky, um, the way that the the teams look going into the hiatus may not be the same coming out. Like, shit, look at Nikola Jokic, prime example. He was 200, 300 pounds probably before the, the, the quarantine. Coming out of it now, he looked like he is smooth 250 or something. So it's just like... Who knows what chemistry is going to be like? Who knows if players are going to get back into the swing of it? Like the Memphis Grizzlies were holding on to that A spot and they were in a groove. Like they found a groove and they were holding on to it. But now with that young team having so much time off, will they be able to step right back into it and pick up where they left off? You don't know. But on the flip side, you got some teams who like the Utah Jazz, you know, they may be a team that step into the step back into the season and you know, people might think they'll take a step back because Boyan Bogdanovic uh, got surgery, but maybe Joe Ingles steps in and, and just goes crazy. Like, you never know what can happen. Maybe the Oklahoma City Thunder really show that they're as good as they've been playing all year. I think this year, if there's... Because most of the time when you watch a playoff series, at least myself, you kind of have an idea who's going to win that series. And I think that's the beauty of the NBA playoffs. The NBA playoffs is kind of intended to reward the best team. You play... You got to win best of seven. NCAA tournament, I don't think the best team always wins. It's the hottest team. 
you know, you, you get some good matchups. The seeding can be in your favor. You win one game, you move on. That doesn't mean that you're a better team because if you played that team in a seven-game series, that may not be the same outcome. So I think with, with the, the hiatus and, and things like that possibly affecting the way these guys play, I think that only boosts the, the potential ratings for the NBA because now you, have, you don't have fans in the arena, but you still do have upsets taking place, which is drawing people to the television. So I think this year will be exciting. I think we'll see a lot of lower. This this year has some some dangerous lower level seeds, like uh, especially out west. Uh, the Mavericks are a seven seed, and they have like they're. I think they have a chance to have the best net rating on offense in NBA history, which will beat the Golden State Warriors the year that they won the title. Uh, so that like that's just crazy, and that's a seven seed. So I, I think this year is going to have its share of upsets, but we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, number three, I got three more. We halfway through. Damian Lillard will lead the Trailblazers to the playoffs in the West, and Bradley Beal will lead the Wizards to the playoffs in the East. So I don't think they will have a better record than the teams who are currently holding the spots right now. The two teams I'm referring to are the Orlando Magic in the East and the Memphis Grizzlies in the West. The, the Memphis Grizzlies are 32 and 33. The Trailblazers are 29 and 37. So they're like three and a half games out. And then in the East, the Orlando Magic are 30 and 35, and the Washington Wizards are 24 and 40. They're like five games, five and a half games out of uh, that eighth spot. So I don't think that the the Wizards and the Trailblazers are going to go on the run of like undefeated in those eight games and overtake them for the eighth spot. I don't think it's going to be like that. I think they're going to play their teams into the playoffs because of the new format. Now, the new format says that the team with the eighth best combined record in its conference will say that's Team A. Is four games or fewer ahead of a team with the ninth best combined record in the same conference, we'll call that Team B, then Team A and B will compete in a play-in tournament to determine the eighth playoff seed. So that, that's really the biggest reason why I think that can happen. If you put the Orlando Magic in a playoff series with the Washington Wizards, I don't know if the Orlando Magic have enough offensively to... They're a really good defensive team, but I don't know if they have enough to, to take on Bradley Beal and the Washington Wizards, who have been like one of the best offenses all year. And then on the flip side, Damian Lillard, you throw Damian Lillard in a in a series with fucking Ja Morant. I love Ja, but I don't know if he's ready for that. Like that, <laughs> that's a different stage. And it says to earn the eighth playoff seed, team A would need to defeat team B once, and team B would need to defeat team A twice. So basically Ja Morant would only have to get one win. Ja Morant and the Grizzlies would have to get one win against Damian Lillard and the Blazers. And the Blazers got to win, too, because they have the, the lesser record. And then same on the flip side for uh, Bradley Beal and the Wizards. So I think with that being the format, I can see Bradley Beal dropping 40 in back-to-back games and leading his team to a, two wins over the, the Orlando Magic. And then the same for Damian Lillard. I can see him dropping 40, 50 in back-to-back games over the Grizzlies and getting his team in, um, who are now healthy, too. You know what I mean? So I, I think that's a dangerous team out west. They made it to the Western Conference Finals last year. They just don't get a lot of love, but they're always a problem. As long as you got that backcourt of CJ um, and Dame bringing the ball up the court. So let's go ahead and move on to my second bold statement. This is number two. These aren't ranked. These are just like thrown around, but I do think they're kind of getting cooler as I get to the top. (laughs) But um, at number two, the Celtics will make it out the East. So this is bold as shit. I, I, I don't know if I feel like this all year. 
Recently, I just had an epiphany. I was thinking in my head, like, hmm, they probably can do it. <laughs> Them niggas could do it. <laughs> I think with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, they have a really, really, really solid defensive unit, but they got scores too, and they can stretch you out. But they also have interior defense, even though they don't have like a prototypical big man in the paint. So with the versatility that they have, they're, they, they can give Giannis and the Bucks a run for their money, especially when you consider the Bucks are primarily a, a three-point shooting team outside of Giannis. So if you make them shoot the ball, but you're able to defend them at a high level, we, we saw the, the Toronto Raptors do it to the, the Bucks last year when they kind of kept Giannis in check and forced other guys to beat him. I don't know if those other guys can step up like that to beat the Celtics. So the Celtics are a great defensive team. If they can can make it to where the other guys have to go against the Celtics, other guys, I'm gonna take the Celtics. So I think they can beat. I think they can beat the uh, Bucks in a seven game series. They'll probably have to do it in six though, because if they went back to Milwaukee, I don't know. <laughs> so I'll say the Celtics make it out the East um, in six games over the Bucks. Uh, so moving on to my last bold statement of the day. Los Angeles Clippers will win the NBA championship and they will beat the Los Angeles Lakers in the conference finals. I had to throw that in there. No shade, no disrespect. These are the top two teams, just like the top two teams in the East. Um, but with the Clippers, I just think that they're a better team. It's really that simple. <laughs> I know LeBron is on a mission. Uh, I just don't think they got enough, man. I, I think that their three-point shooting is eventually going to hurt them. Um, especially coming back now. I don't know if jumpers is going to be hitting for most teams who rely on a three-point shot just because they've had so much time off. Um, and then I think they're going to run into the Lakers because I think the Lakers are one of the best teams in the league. They're going to clash with each other. And I know that sucks because I'm not even talking about my team, the Denver Nuggets, <laughs> but I'm just being honest. I think the Clippers have the best team in the league. Um, and I think if they match up with the Celtics in the NBA Finals, that is going to be entertaining as shit. I would love to, because I remember the games that they played against each other. They've all been like very competitive. So it would be a, a joy to watch. Um, I think the Clippers, when they, they come back, they play a, a, a brand of basketball that isn't so reliant upon the three-point shot. Um, so I think they'll be able to get back into their groove. And if they're healthy, um, you know, ain't no telling how far they can go. So again, I'll, I'll go through my, my bold statements at number six. I said the challenge call is going to determine the outcome of a series, revise that, a series in the conference finals. At number five, Nikola Jokic will average a triple-double in one playoff series this year. Number four, there will be more upsets in these playoffs than we've ever seen. Number three, Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal will lead their teams to the playoffs. Number two, the Celtics will make it out the East. And number one, the Los Angeles Clippers will win the NBA championship and they will beat the Lakers on the way there. Now, before we hop into quarter number three, um, first and foremost, I want to say if you're not following me on Twitter and Instagram, please go ahead and do so now. I know you you rocking with me. You're a part of the home team. You might as well go ahead and make it official now. And if you haven't already subscribed, please go to www.hoofacts.com. Subscribe. I got content coming on there. Um, everything is prepared by me. I do the podcast. I do all the writing. So I'm a busy man. So I want y'all to, to, to continue to spread the word. Continue to let people know that I'm out here and we talking hoops, y'all. So uh, before we transition into quarter number three, uh, I also want to play the sound of the week. This is a um, just I wouldn't even call it a speech, but this is Greg Popovich, head coach of the San Antonio Spurs, um, just talking about how horrific 
the recent developments, I wouldn't even say developments, the recent uh, incidents have been in this nation that's just caused everybody to pause. Um, so he's just kind of reflecting on that and how he's felt seeing these uh, senseless acts of violence taking place just for the color of people's skin. And uh, he just kind of goes in and expresses uh, his stance on, on America and this treatment towards black people. So this is Greg Popovich. I will see you guys when we get back in the second half. It's almost in a strange, counterintuitive sort of way, the best teaching moment of this most recent tragedy, I think, was the look on the officer's face. For white people to see how nonchalant, how casual, how just every day going about his job, so much so that he could just put his left hand in his pocket, wriggle his knee around a little bit to teach this person some sort of a lesson. And it was his right and his duty to do it in his mind. I don't know. I think I'm just embarrassed as a white person to know that that can happen, uh, to actually watch a lynching. You know, we've all seen books and you look in the books and you see black people hanging up on trees and you, you are amazed but we just saw it again. I, I never thought I'd see that, you know, with my own eyes in real time. It's important that we as white people, because I think nothing's gonna happen. We have to do it. Black people have been shouldering this burden for 400 years. The only reason this nation has made the progress it has is because the persistence and patience and effort of black people. Uh, you know, the, the, the history of our nation from the very beginning in many ways was a lie. And we continue to this day, mostly black and brown people to try to make that lie a truth so that it's no longer a lie. Uh, and those rights and privileges uh, are enjoyed by people of color, just like we enjoy them. So it's gotta be us, in my opinion, that speak truth to power, that call it out no matter what the consequences. We have to speak. We have to not let anything go. It's just a situation that is very similar to me. It's like the, the gun arguments. What's it gonna take? Two more black people with knees in their necks? I, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think that's gonna happen. Uh, how many more Sandy Hooks do we have to have? It's easy for people to let things go because it doesn't involve them. It's like the neighborhood where you know there's a dangerous corner and you know that something's going to happen someday and nobody does anything. And then a young kid gets killed and the stop sign goes up. Well, without getting too political, we got a lot of stop signs that need to go up quickly because our country is in trouble. And the basic reason is race.
Welcome back, home team. Welcome back to the second half of episode number 29 of the ISO podcast. You are still locked in with your boy, Chuck Crowder, and this is the number one podcast for true basketball fans, you guys. So let's go ahead and get off to quarter number three, and we are talking about the five most dangerous players once the season returns. So we're talking about the dudes that are, are, are going to set the block on fire, <laughs> make the block hot. They're going to tear the streets up. Every time they get the rock on the hardwood, everybody is in fear. Um, so we we gonna, we only could pick five, though. And there was a lot of guys I thought about. Of course, once the season comes back, who knows who's going to be hot. Um, but there's there's a number of guys who I think are going to come back and they're going to uh, they're going to they're going to definitely make some noise for the remainder of the season. So I want to give an honorable mention. I got to give an honorable mention because this guy barely made my cut. He barely made my cut. <laughs> and I don't. When I'm looking at it, the names that's on it, it makes me feel better. But Jason Tatum, man, I, I think he's going to be lethal when he comes back. Um, I actually seen a report that one of his coaches said he came back um, from the first time working in the gym since the quarantine, and they said he hit over 90% of his shots. Like, they said that's how, how much in his bag he was. They said he hasn't been too much, hasn't been any drop-off. He's been working hard the whole time, so... Jason Tatum is ready to come back and lead that Celtics team on a playoff run. He has playoff experience very early in his career as from his rookie season against LeBron. So I think with um, with him, I definitely want to put him on the list. But the five guys I got on here just beat him out by by smidges. So um, and for number five, I'll go ahead and start with this one just because this guy is probably a little, little biased as to how he made it over Jason Tatum. But Nikola Yoke is the joker, man. If if I'm saying that he's going to average a triple-double in a playoff series, of course I think the motherfucker is dangerous, and he's on my team. So Nikola Jokic is easily one of the five most dangerous players coming back once the season resumes. He's huge. He can pass. He can shoot the ball. He's going to be quicker now. Like His biggest deficiency, in my opinion, was his conditioning. He was overweight um, when the season first started. Uh, for most of the season, he looked like he was trying to catch his breath all fucking season. <laughs> but he still produces. He shows up when it matters most. Um, but him shedding that weight, man, I think it's going to do wonders for him because he's still a big guy. Um, he was averaging 20 points, 7 assists, 10 boards, um, shooting over 50% from the field, 81 from the from the free throw line. So he's going to get it done. And one of the things I like about him most is he's one of the clutchest players in the league. And the playoffs kind of play to his strengths. It's a half-court game, which he can really, really kill in the half-court just because he can post up, pick the defense apart with his passing ability and scoring ability. Um, and he's physical. So just a team having to deal with his physicality for the duration of a, a seven-game playoff series, you know, it, it can be taxing. And I think he's somebody that really knows how to utilize his strengths to the, the maximum ability. So I think he's going to have a really big impact for us, and he's going to lead us um, – down that journey in the postseason where I think we can at least make it to the second make it out the second round this season. I hope we can make it out this well, nah, we we can't. Because <laughs> that would mean we would make the conference finals and I don't think we're gonna beat the Clippers or the Lakers. So we'll see, man. We'll see. I hope we play the Lakers though. I think we got a better shot at beating them. Um and then just overall our team, I think with us getting healthy, us getting our shooting touch back. It's just going to help him in terms of finding open open guys, and it's going to make us that much more dangerous. So let's move on to number four. Number four, we got the beer, James Harden. James Harden is averaging damn near 35 fucking points, and nobody cares. 
Nobody cares. <laughs> nobody has averaged 35 for two years in a row since Michael Jordan, and nobody cares. But he's about to do it. And, of course, yes, the, the game is different. It's a lot more possessions. I understand that 100%. Trust me. I know. But <laughs> that shit is impressive. For him to shoot as many threes as he does to still be at 35%, to, you would think Harden shoots like 25% from three-point line when you look at some of his stat lines. But he has a lot of good games in there, and it kind of goes under the radar. I think the reason why James Harden is going to be one of the most lethal players when he comes back is because he's been accused in the past of breaking down in the playoffs. He's always had a heavy workload since joining the Rockets. He's always been their sole offensive option for the most part on the perimeter. Um, so I think with him having that break, COVID-19 is the best thing that could ever happen to James Harden from a basketball standpoint. Like, this is the biggest break he's ever had in his career. And he's always been durable. He's always find, found a way to contribute um, despite being the, the guy to have to do it night in and night out. And he plays if he's healthy. So I think with James Harden being completely healthy, having that time to kind of like get his body back right, he's going to come back and probably average 40. So I, I think with his offensive ability, there's no reason. I, I couldn't keep him off the list. So now I got three more, y'all. Top three. Number three, I got King James. Of course, I had to have King James on here. Like I said, Jason Tatum, I wanted him on here. But when you hear these names, it's like, uh, kinda, I kind of, I understand it. <laughs> you get it now, though, right? But anyway... LeBron is averaging damn near 26, uh, career high in assists, 10.6. That is fucking amazing. Somebody at his age that big can average that many assists and still score this much points. Oh, but he can rebound too. King James give you eight boards a game. One steal, 50% from the field, um, shooting around the same percentage from three as James Harden, but obviously on, on less attempts. Uh, LeBron is, is motivated, man. I think this is the most locked in I've seen him since, like, that year after they lost to um, Dallas, I think when they when they beat OKC and he was reading books and shit, and I saw him on the sideline locked in. Like <laughs> I haven't seen him that locked in since since now. Like this is I think the reason why is because he's kind of adopted an underdog mentality, and it's weird because LeBron has always been the ultimate, you know, juggernaut. So to kind of look at him as an underdog is kind of crazy, but I think he's kind of like. He, he's created this chip on his shoulder himself, kind of in the way that Michael Jordan used to do. Like when Michael Jordan would just make these stories up that we kind of talked about last episode, these just fictional ass stories to make himself play better and have the motivation. It's like LeBron is doing that too. Yes, there are people who think LeBron is washed because he's in year 17, but those people are dumb. <laughs> LeBron isn't, I think LeBron is not who he used to be. I wouldn't say LeBron is washed though. 25 points, 11 rebounds and eight. I mean, 11 assists and 8 rebounds, there's no way that can be watched. But I just don't think LeBron is who he once was. So with, with him, with him being that motivated, him still having that skill level, the IQ, the, the know-how of just getting it done when, when it matters most, um, that makes LeBron James very, very, very scary. Um, and I think the last, the last time LeBron really had to rest was last year when they didn't make the playoffs, but he was hurt too. So that wasn't really like a rest. It was kind of like, you know, recovering. But this time, just like James Harden has allowed him to rest and recuperate, LeBron James has more miles on his body than any basketball player in the NBA when you consider how much basketball he's played from Olympics, you know what I mean? Year in and year out, postseason runs, back to back to back to back. So I think with LeBron James having that time to kind of like rest and get back right, 
That's why he wants to come back because he's hungry. He wants to. He feels like he's probably 21 years old again. <laughs> That's how LeBron probably feels. So I understand why he's motivated. He's going to be fucking dangerous. His biggest thing is he's just going to have to knock down free throws. If LeBron can make his free throws late in games, he'll be great. If not, you're going to hear a lot of Skip Bayless. <laughs> That's just real. And then I think with LeBron, too, at this stage of his career, he's done everything. It's about legacy now. It's about adding to that legacy and the game's actually, like, meaning something. Like, the reason why he goes so hard every night, I think, is to, to still continue to add to the amazing legacy he's already built. But it's just, it, it, it kind of makes them, like, why are you playing so hard in the regular season? <laughs> like, why are you giving Zion 40? It's because he's, he's adopted this mentality of, of an underdog, and he's proving to everybody that he he's still LeBron James, and I think that's what makes him dangerous. But the legacy aspect, he knows every game is going to be judged as if it's the deciding factor of his career. So with that being said, he has to perform every night, and he looks like he's been doing that so far. So uh, two more at number two. This is kind of a given. I said that these guys are going to win the championship, so I got to be talking about Kawhi. Kawhi is averaging 27 points, five assists, seven rebounds, he was a man possessed this year, super efficient. I had him on my fantasy team, so I know firsthand how lethal he was. Almost two steals a night, super efficient. Kawhi Leonard can do it all, um, but I think one of the biggest reasons why he's going to be one of the most dangerous players once the season comes back is because he made this move for this moment. LeBron is who he's had his eyes set on since he decided to join the Clippers. He wanted to play against LeBron in the finals, He's been waiting all year for the playoffs. And I think he's been wanting to show that last year wasn't a fluke. Kevin Durant was hurt last year. LeBron James was out of the playoffs. Many people said that the playoffs just didn't have the, the same kind of star power that it had in the past. And those are two immense stars, so I can understand people feeling that way. But Kawhi Leonard wouldn't earn that shit. I don't care. Injuries are part of the game, and he played his ass off. And another reason why I think he's going to be super dangerous when he comes back is because Kawhi is in his prime. He, he has arrived. This is his prime of his career. This is the best Kawhi we're going to see. So I want to see how great this Kawhi matches up against everyone else. And I think it's the best player in the league right now, this version of Kawhi. If Kevin Durant is not healthy, of course. But I think Kawhi Leonard is just too, too he has too much of an impact on both ends to ignore. Um, and come playoff time, that's when it matters most, half-court offense. If I need to get a final bucket at the end of the game, it's not too many people I will go to other than Kawhi Leonard um, just because I know he can go get a good shot. It's going to be a shot that is very, very, uh, <laughs> I would say, within the, the flow of the offense. It's not going to be something where he's just shooting from like half court or some shit like that. So you're always going to get good shots. Um, you're always going to have a chance because he plays defense. And I just think with... Him making that move to come to L.A., not only with him being from California, he got a city on his back, but this is his opportunity to kind of, like, put up. Like, you said you didn't want to play with LeBron, you wanted to go against him, so now let's show, you know what I mean, why why you wanted to go against him. And I think he's going to lead the Clippers to a, a crazy run down the stretch, kind of like how we saw the Lakers before the quarantine. I can see him leading the Clippers to one of them runs going into the postseason, and they just never look back. So, number one. I got one more guy left, and this guy is one of my favorite players in the league, man. Dame Dalla. Damian Lillard is my number one most dangerous player once the season resumes. 
Do I need to explain why I think everyone knows? <laughs> yes, it's because he just dropped music. And every time Dame dropped music, he comes back as the best fucking player the NBA has ever seen. When Damian Lillard drops music, and, and I think I know why he does it, because in the, in the past, whenever players have like business endeavors or things they do outside, they have to be like super proficient or else it's deemed as a, as a distraction. And even still, like LeBron, his, his uh, business ventures are still deemed as distractions. They say he's not fully focused on basketball. He wants to be Steven Spielberg. So say whatever they want. Whenever fucking Damian Lillard put out a mixtape, he about to drop 60. <laughs> and that's a fact. So he just put out some music. Oh, and did I mention that the Trailblazers are fighting for a playoff spot? He is about to tear the league up. He is licking his chops. He's ready to come in. He was averaging 30 and 8 before the season stopped anyway, shooting 39% from the three-point line. He was having the best season, I think, of his career just in terms of, like, individual impact. Um, but unfortunately, his team just hasn't been as um, as competitive. But his team is healthy now. Uh, they don't have Rodney Hood, but they got Nurkish back. Uh, Collins should be back. So they can make that run because they now got the size. Um, the young guys were able to get some valuable minutes in Anthony Simons and Gary Trent Jr. Um, and I think he's going to be the guy that just attracts so much attention to where you might see his assist numbers go up in the playoffs just because I think he trusts in his other guys and I think they're ready to make big shots. And they're going to be a dangerous team because if they're hitting shots, you already know what you're getting out of him. They, they can make a run, just like how they did last year. They made it to the Western Conference Finals. So Damian Lillard is my number one option in terms of best players coming back um, just because I know he's going to be motivated. Oh, another honorable mention, uh, Bradley Beal. If, if the things I say is true in those bold statements, he has to show up. Um, and same for Jason Tatum. So I'm going to stand by that. Um, fuck it, I'll make the list to seven because this is my podcast. And I'm going to add Jason Tatum and Bradley Beal on that business. St. Louis boys. <laughs> so let's go ahead and move on to the final quarter of the day. Uh, Jonathan Kaminga, one of the top prep players in the nation. We're going to discuss his future and where he may be taking his basketball talents next season, y'all. So stick around. Don't touch that dot. You're still rocking with your boy. This is Trey Crowder, and this is the ISO Podcast. Welcome back to the fourth quarter, everybody. It is time to close strong. We're going to finish this episode talking about one of the top prep players in the nation. We're referring to Jonathan Kaminga, you guys. So if you don't know who Jonathan Kaminga is, I'm going to introduce you to him now. Um, this, if this is your first time hearing him, this won't be the last because you're, you're going to hear his name a lot within the next year or so. Um, but Jonathan Kaminga, he was the number one ranked player in the class of 2021. So he was scheduled to be a, a senior in high school this upcoming year, but he recently reclassified. So he is now going into the class of 2020 who are graduating high school now and going into college. Um, where he is now ranked the number four player in the class of 2020. So they have him behind Jalen Green, Kay Cunningham, and Evan Mobley. So those three players are like in the upper echelon of this class, 2020. I feel like right after those guys, you kind of got some question marks. And not like bad question marks, but you don't know. You feel like with those three guys, we know what they bring to the table. We know who they're going to be in terms of like they're going to be professionals. And one of them already is in, in Jalen Green. So I think with with Jonathan Kaminga joining this class and still being ranked number four, 
you can kind of say he is still in that elite class because right after him is Scotty Barnes, and I feel like that's where the drop-off is. I think Kaminga belongs in the in the conversation with Jalen, Evan, and Cade. So who is he? He's a six foot eight, 210-pound small forward. Think about that. That's the size of like an NBA small forward right now, and he was in high school. <laughs> so I think he's definitely ready to take the leap, so I'm, I'm glad he reclassified. Um, I'm excited to see where he plays, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So he did attend the Patrick School in Hillside, New Jersey, um, and he's believed by many to be a top three pick whenever he declares for the draft. So a lot of people were were excited that he uh, reclassified, me included, just because um, I did see an interview. It was on a it was on a podcast. He actually made a statement recently that he was 50 50 in terms of if he wanted to reclassify or not. So with him making the decision, it, it's cool. And for me, it just shows that he has a plan in mind. I, do, I don't know if he knows what he wants to do now, but I'll at least go off the information that I, I was able to dig up and kind of see where we can land in terms of what his destination may be. So Jonathan Kaminga recently um, posted his top five and pretty much top five destinations for next season. And that top five included Kentucky, Texas Tech, Auburn, Duke, and the NBA G League. So that's pretty elite company. <laughs> Kentucky, uh, pipeline to the NBA. Texas Tech just recently was in the NCAA championship. Auburn has been an up-and-coming program. Duke, we know what you're getting out of them in the G League is the pros. So he has some pretty good options. Um, I went through these top five lists that he had and just breaking down the angles as to why he would go there. And I think once it's all said and done, when I get to the bottom, I think everybody is going to kind of agree with me, <laughs> but we'll see. So at Kentucky, um, once I seen this on this list, my first thought was, hell no, he's not fucking going to Kentucky. It's a log jam on the wing at Kentucky. He's not going there. I can tell you that now. We can rule that one out. Put a big ass X on that one. Uh, Terrence Clark is there. He is a, a basically plays the same position as him. Um, I think Terrence Clark needs the ball a little bit more because he can facilitate as well. Devin Askew, he's going to be a point guard for Kentucky. He went to modern day. He's a ball handler. B.J. Boston is going to need the ball. He's a small forward. He went to Sierra Canyon. Like, these are all high-ranked guys who need the ball. So, yes, I have seen situations where Kentucky had, like, the uh, the Carl Anthony Towns days where Devin Booker was coming off the bench. That's different because everybody had a role. These guys will almost kind of play the same game, so I don't see how that would work. And this Kentucky is – basically just a school that gives you one-year deals and his deal was supposed to kick in next year I don't think they plan for him coming in this year and then now too when you think about um, Kentucky is looking at Kay Cunningham because now he's available well I don't know if he's available he hasn't said he's leaving Oklahoma State but a lot of people speculate that he's he's gonna leave now and even the coach said that they support it so Kentucky is is they have a lot of talent there they're still trying to get talent and I don't know where Jonathan Kaminga fits, so I'm going to just say hell no for Kentucky. So um, his fourth school that he had on here, or one of the five schools that he had, was Texas Tech. Now, Texas Tech, I was kind of like, I, I see some intrigue there because this school is not like the Kentuckys and the Dukes on his list. This is an up-and-coming program um, that actually played in the NCAA championship last year. So not that Texas Tech is up and coming in terms of a new school, but just on the basketball side. Like, they've had some success, but never that far. So for them to, to do that, um, I definitely think that that opened the eyes of some recruits. Seeing a guy like Jared Cover lead that team to the NCAA championship 
and then still um, get drafted fairly high as well. He won the lottery. So that just shows that, okay, so if I go to that school, it's kind of like the thing I referred to with Kay Cunningham about guys going to schools that aren't like powerhouses, but they kind of are that missing piece that makes the school, you know, catapult into national contention. Like that's what he would essentially be doing if he went to Texas Tech. Um, and in a way, it kind of helps you a lot because the statistics should be there because he'll have the opportunity to play right away. Um, he won't get penalized too bad if they don't win because he's only a freshman. And three, it only helps you if you guys win because you're going to be the guy who gets all the acclaim for making them as good as they are. So it's kind of a win-win. Um, they play tough competition in the Big 12, and this is the kicker right here. His half-brother, Joel Natambue, plays for Texas Tech. So this is kind of the, the, the same thing that happened with um, Josh Christopher. His brother went to Arizona State. He went to Arizona State. Um, Kay Cunningham, his brother got hired by the staff. He committed to Oklahoma State. So Texas Tech is, is one that, that should be getting a lot of attention in terms of where he might go, uh, just because I can see him fitting well in terms of how they play as well. Um, so moving on, Auburn. Auburn is a school in the SEC, so already you get credit for that. You don't have to average a lot of points to be seen. I feel like a lot of people in the SEC that just have raw talent get drafted pretty high. Um, Isaac Okoro is going to be the, the next guy who, who kind of fits that bill. Uh, he played at Auburn last year, and Isaac Okoro plays very similar to um, Jonathan Kaminga in the sense of where they're physically imposing and they're very athletic. So with that being their primary skill set and seeing how he was able to find success at Auburn, I can see why Jonathan Kaminga will be considering them. And then when you pair with the fact that he'll be able to play with a top-tier point guard and Sharif Cooper, who was dominant with Isaac Okoro in high school, like that shit is an ideal fit. Um, I think that with Isaac and Kaminga playing a similar game, Sharif Cooper would definitely find a way to get Kaminga involved and it would make that team go and they would be exciting to watch. If he went to Auburn, he could average like 13 points and still go top two, top three. Just because in the SEC, they know you're playing against tough competition that's damn near like NBA level size, at least, to where if Scotty Lewis is one of those guys that played at Florida, um, he's still there now. And if he would have declared, I think Scotty Lewis would have been a first round pick. He didn't average a lot of points, but he showed what his skill set was. And I think, um, what's his name, can have a similar kind of. Similar similar in impact in terms of college, but if he does produce statistically, Jonathan Kaminga I'm talking about, um, he's for sure going to be a top three pick. So Auburn would definitely be another uh, scenario where I could see him fitting well. Um, and then the next college he had was Duke. Now, we all know the benefits of playing at Duke. Um, it's the new Kentucky in terms of getting to the NBA. It's just another route. It's not only one school now that gives you the golden ticket to the league. Like Now you can go to Duke as well. And the Blue Bloods have always been popular for its ability to get you the exposure that you want as a player. But I think one of the underrated aspects of attending a Blue Blood, Blue Blood is that you'll be treated like a pro at those schools. Like, you'll carry yourself like a pro because it's really basketball first, school second. Like, it's, they call you a student athlete, but it's about basketball. You're there to make a lot of money for the school and to give yourself enough of a platform to where you can expose your talents to get drafted high. That's what the agreement is. Um, so I think with him going there, uh, Duke has a really, really good track record for guys that play his position, his size, 
Grant Hill, Luol Deng, um, back in the day, Brandon Ingram, Jason Tatum uh, lately. So he he has a lot of a lot of guys he could point to that said, damn, they played my position. Some of them were raw. Some of them developed. But Coach K is one of the best coaches in the nation, and he can help you get there. He's played. Coach K coaches the best of the best in the Olympics. So, of course, you know what I mean? He knows how to help guys get the most out of their skill set. So that would be a great reason to go to Duke. Um, and they do actually have a scholarship available for him if he was to attend that school. Uh, the only thing is they are also pursuing Florida transfer Andrew Nimhart, who I uh, talked about last episode, who said he was leaving Florida. Six foot five point guard who probably would fit in really well with uh, Duke. They probably need him more than Kaminga because uh, Tyus Jones is leaving. So uh, I, I think with wait, not Tyus Jones. That's the older brother. <laughs> My bad. Apologies to Trey Jones, <laughs> not Tyus. But, yeah, once he leaves, it's going to be a hole at that league guard spot. And uh, Andrew Nimhart can step in as a, a junior and provide a lot for that for that Duke squad who's going to be really talented because they always are with their newest recruiting class. So I can see him fitting in there as well. Um, and then the last option that we got is the NBA G League. Now, when you look at all the uncertainties surrounding, like, college sports, like, the season was was already ended, um, and they didn't even try and postpone it. It was just ended. You don't know if college sports will even be back next season. So for you to commit to a college when you don't even know what the future holds will be kind of it, – it I can see I will put him in a tough position if basketball is his you know dream of playing in the league. Like That will only make it tougher for you because if the season doesn't start and you don't play – now you got to figure out other options on the fly. So um, I think that with the G League route for high school players, it's been gaining steam in recent years. Um, so I think they're more likely to have a season than the NCAA. Um, even with the, the pandemic involved, I think the G League needs to make money because they're professionals. So I think they're better suited to navigate around the pandemic than a, a university because the university isn't sports first even though it makes them a lot of money. So they, they act in those ways. But for a professional organization, they're going to figure it out. And most of the players um, are going to be on board because in the G League, they're still trying to prove or still get to the NBA. So they're, they're willing to sacrifice a little more than, let's say, a Kyrie Irving, like we talked about in the first quarter. So um, I, think, I do think that there's benefits of going to college. There's benefits of going to the G League. Um, but I don't think he reclassified and moved up to go to college. I just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, college is going to be there. Um, it, I don't know why he would accelerate to go to college with the uncertainty taking place. You know, like I can understand if we knew the season was taking place, he reclassified, wanted to get in college a year earlier. Boom, I get that. But for him to reclassify to speed it up with us not knowing if college sports will even take place, I think all signs are pointing to him and Kay Cunningham taking the G League route. Uh, recently, Kay Cunningham's people, or I don't know who revealed it, but they said how much um, he was offered for the G League contract, and they offered him the full 500 grand like Jalen Green. So if he was offered that and we just now found out among, amidst the allegations, or not even allegations, the postseason ban for Oklahoma State, and now he deletes everything on his social media site uh, pertaining to the college, that kind of tells me that Kay Cunningham is leaning towards the same route as well. So I think Jonathan Kaminga and Kay Cunningham will both take the G League route. I don't think they're going to college. Um, and if they do that, 
college is going to be in a world of trouble because that will be the number one player from 2021 declaring, um, going to the G League, skipping college. That'll be the number one player from 2020 and Jalen Green. That'll be the number two player in 2020 who was mostly the number one for most of the year in Cade Cunningham. All these guys deciding to skip college is going to make it easy for the next guy, next wave of guys to do it because now you don't have to be a pioneer. You don't have to be the one that everybody is watching to see if he fails or not. So, yep, I think both of those guys are going to the G League route, and I think the 2021 draft is going to be fucking loaded. Kaminga, Kay Cunningham, Jalen Green, Josh Christopher, uh, Greg Brown, like the, the list of names go on, not even mention the players who are in college still. So this draft class may not be the best, but I think the class of 2021 might be like one of those generational drafts for just a lot of years to come. It's a lot of talent in that draft. But with that being said, I am all done. It's a wrap for me today. I've gotten through all that I needed to discuss. This was a fun podcast, the accountability cast. (laughs) That's what I might name it. But again, I want to take this time to say thank you to every single person who is still listening, who has ever listened. Um, Monumental milestone once again, once this episode drops, I will surpass 1,000 listens overall on my platform. So I want to continue to grow the numbers, continue to spread the word. And I just want to say thank you to every single person who has supported me along the way. Uh, I want to continue fighting, continue um, just trying to do what I can to make my voice heard and just be uh, one of the, the people in the black community that are actually saying shit that, that's helpful and that is, uh, you know, a part of the, the solution. So I just want to say thank you to every single person that listens um, and, you know, we just got a lot of work to do. I want to keep my foot on the gas. So um, before we get out of here, ISO spotlight track I got for the day. It's only right. Fuck the police. <laughs> Fuck the police by YG. Um, this shit is just funny and it's also appropriate for the time. Um, still still trying to recover from the shit that I've been seeing. But um, in the meantime, it's just funny to get some 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 ignorant shit off. So <laughs> this is YG. This is Fuck the Police. And you guys just listened to episode number 29 of the ISO podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you once again for tuning in. And until next time, you guys, thank you for listening to the number one podcast for true basketball fans. Y'all be safe, stay out of trouble, and let's get to the money, y'all. Peace. Fuck the police. 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 By Glock, burn down the block, that's how I feel Murder after murder after all these years By strap, bus back after all these tears Mama's crying, how they gon' heal? How you would feel? Fuck side, speak up, bitch, this shit ill Big stick on me, y'all kill, we kill Been tied, fuck cardboard signs, we in the field It's the Ku Klux cops They on a mission, it's the Ku Klux cops Got hidden agendas, it's the truth, I won't stop Open cases, police already hate me, why not? Make a rich ass city look like trash Till whoever make the rules, we need answers fast Oh, they mad, fuck it, let's make a man Without that bad, you's a bitch and a half Fuck the police, fuck the police, fuck the police 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 
second serve mean duck and swerve. Police pull me over, I don't stop, I'm scared. Fuck 12, bitch, I got the nerves. Fuck 12, bitch, they get on my nerves. Hey, fuck pig, fuck bacon. I don't eat pork, I'll be pasting. Fuck you and your slave ship. You're supposed to be free like the Masons. I'm tired of being tired of being tired. I'm tired of being shot at like an eye. Calling all the foolies from the tribe. We on some fucking police shit, it's the vibe. Calling for backup, I think he weak. Fuck the police, 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 they on a mission, it's the cool cuts cops. Got hidden agendas, this is true, I won't stop. This is this is this is true, I won't stop. Fuck the police, that's how I feel Fuck, 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 fuck the police